Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Busman. Thanksgiving is only a couple days away, and I thought it'd be the perfect time to say thanks to a very special man who is trying to heal the world. Well, a small piece of the world, but by healing that small piece, he can impact a lot of lives, actually all kinds of life, in ways we're generally unaware. I'm talking about my pal, Gator Halpern. I met Gator in August when I went on a cruise to the glaciers of Alaska with the Sustainable Ocean Alliance, founded by another pal of mine, Daniela Fernandez. About 60 of us flew to Juneau and boarded a National Geographic vessel with Lindblad Expeditions. I love that word. Expeditions. Gloria, I'm going on an expedition. Who could say no to that? The expedition was focused on helping young entrepreneurs develop businesses that could save the seas. There were some phenomenal people aboard. I mean, you go to dinner and you find yourself sitting next to a woman who is developing technologies to find and remove all the soda cans and bottles that have been dumped in the oceans. You got people making straws out of biodegradable seaweed so that marine life won't choke on the plastic when it's discarded. You want to know how big that is? Well, Americans use up to 400 million straws a day. Anyway, at one of the first dinners, I felt my eyebrows leaping to the top of my forehead when I met Gator. Gator grows coral in Freeport, the Bahamas. To be honest, I didn't know much about coral. In my mind, coral reefs were a magnificent place to go scuba diving. But, as you'll hear Gator explain in a few minutes, barrier reefs are just that, barriers. They protect coastal areas when storms strike, so that when we lift the temperature of the oceans through carbon emissions and global warming, we degrade the coral reefs, which puts us at risk. It's this simple. We destroy the coral, we destroy our protection. By the end of those few days with Limblad expeditions, I would come to know just how much risk we're inviting in, because by the end of that trip, 200 mile an hour Hurricane Dorian headed straight for the Bahamas, directly at Coral Vita, which is Gator's Coral Farm. And that's why this episode is called Gator versus the Hurricane. So let me tell you how special Gator is. See, if you let coral grow naturally, it might take 50 years to fill out the size of a plate. But even then, it'll be in danger if it can't survive in water with increased temperatures. But as you'll soon hear, Gator developed a method to naturally grow coral 50 times faster. And not only that, but he can put that same coral through Gator Boot Camp so that it will grow strong even in increased temperatures. I'll never forget the moment the question came to me. I said, do you mean that you can actually regrow the Great Barrier Reef in Australia? 
Just get me the money, Gator said, and give me the time. That's the spirit within the people that Daniela Fernandez is bringing together through Sustainable Ocean Alliance, which is why I'm behind everybody attached one million percent. So we're having a great time on our expedition. We're kayaking. We're watching whales. We're up at three in the morning to see the Northern Lights. I give a storytelling workshop to help some of the young entrepreneurs pitch their stories to get investment. And it was so fulfilling to hear many of them use some of the strategies I talked about to tell their stories and their dreams to a group of investors. Because you know what? They came away with some nice coin to go after those dreams. It was a beautiful experience. But as the ship pulled in to our final destination, Sitka, for our flights home, we didn't see much of Gator. He was in a bunker, following the path of Hurricane Dorian as it came straight toward his farm. I never got a chance to say goodbye to Gator. He was trying to get information about the storm, and then he dove into recovery mode. My life got pretty hectic, too, and I always wondered what happened to Gator's coral farm. I knew from news reports that things were not going to be too good. How could it be when 25-foot tidal waves hit the island? Well, months later, I show up at the summit event in Los Angeles, and guess who I bump into? It's Gator. We managed to squeeze in a little time for an update, and now you're in on it. You know, we see these natural disasters on the news and want to do something. Maybe we write a check. But the following day, the news cycle moves on to the next day's major event. And I had no idea that some courageous people in the Bahamas were going out on jet skis and 100-mile-an-hour winds to rescue people. Gator and his crew jumped in on the humanitarian effort. Sadly, at least 60 people died, and the death toll is likely to be far greater. Thousands of homes were destroyed, and there was an estimated $7 billion of damage. Well, I'm glad to have Gator on Big Questions this week, so that this just doesn't disappear. And the timing seems right, because this is the time of the year when we pause to give thanks. And if you'd like to thank him for the work he does and adopt some coral, you can find out how at the end of our conversation. You might even start a friendship because Gator is inviting you all to come down to the Bahamas and visiting the farm that he's building all over again from scratch. The skies are now blue again in the Bahamas. And if you do go down to see Gator might be a good idea to pack a sporty comfy D because when you put one on, you know the definition of the phrase, room in comfort. Check out sportique.com for hoodies, sweats, and chinos as well. I'm telling you, sportique threads just feel different. As soon as you put one on, you'll see why I always wear my sportiques when I record these intros and outros, because they just make me feel great. Just took a 17-hour flight to Singapore, and I couldn't imagine anything more comfortable to wear than my sportiques. So happy Thanksgiving, and thank you, Gator, for all you do to make this world a better place. 
So let's get straight to Gator Halpern. Here we go, Gator. It's been a while, and uh, I'm waiting to hear the end of the story. I know it's, uh, this is like a hero's journey, I think. Uh, I explained how I met you in the introduction, so everybody knows we were on that National Geographic ship and going up to the glaciers and having such a great time. And then toward the end, that hurricane is coming through the Caribbean at what, like 200 miles an hour? Yeah, wind gusts over 200 miles an hour, 220 miles an hour at times. And all of a sudden we see that you're starting to get, you could just see the anxiousness and that was just reading it off your body language and everybody was giving you space because we knew that like your whole life's work and mission is basically in the Bahamas while these winds are coming straight toward you. It was a surreal experience to be at such a serene setting in Alaska with amazing, wonderful people like yourself and just watching as this hurricane mounted went from, I think it was a tropical storm when I stepped on that boat with you guys. And by the time I left, it was category five, heading straight for my hometown of Freeport, Grand Bahama after having decimated the the island next to mine, the Abacos, the outlook was getting more and more dire. So you you knew the last day of that trip in Alaska, like, this is going to be bad. Real bad. Real bad. Yeah. It was clearer and clearer by the day. All right. So let's talk about what brought you to the Bahamas in the first place, uh, because one of the things we all learned on the boat is this amazing work that you're doing with coral. And I, I really had no idea how important coral is. How did you find out how important coral is? Well, coral are coral reefs in general are one of the most magical ecosystems you could ever experience. And I think that's how I first fell in love with coral reefs and, and the environment was scuba diving on them, seeing them. I, I actually grew up in San Diego where there aren't coral reefs, but there's beautiful marine life. And I spent as much time as I could in the waves and on the beach and have a deep connection with the ocean. Uh, But it wasn't until a bit later in my life that I was studying climate change science and also becoming a scuba diver, able to travel to different parts of the Caribbean and, and see the situation firsthand happening with coral reefs, which is really one of the more dire ecological catastrophes that our society faces and that the world faces is the loss of coral reefs. We've already lost 50% of all the world's reefs have died. Well, this is what I didn't understand. I thought it was sort of a scenic wonder that we, it's terrible that we're losing it, but I don't understand the value of these reefs and what they did. Yeah, so reefs are a cornerstone ecosystem of the ocean and of life on earth. They're the most biodiverse habitat that we know of. They support over 25% of all marine species. Um, So it's an ecological tragedy that we're losing them, but it's also a significant socioeconomic catastrophe because these reefs are some of the more valuable ecosystems that we have for humans and for society. So these are like buffer zones. When like a hurricane is coming in, they're there to block 
the exactly. waves. Exactly. They're they're called barrier reefs for a reason. They are the barrier between the ocean and coastal environments in the tropics all over the world. And waves and storm surges that are increasing with, with climate change and hurricanes break on coral reefs offshore, often miles offshore. But if those reefs die as they are, then those storm surges and erosion that, that happens is way more impactful to coastal communities and can really cause extreme, extreme damage that could have been mitigated if there was still a healthy barrier reef offshore. Okay, so now I understood that, man, you know, we're talking about, and we were seeing evidence of the glaciers melting. And so we know that the ocean's going to rise. And you, you hear these crazy reports that like a third of Vietnam is going to be underwater in 30 years. Yeah. If, I, I, I don't know if that's true or not. It just, this is some of the information that's coming up. Mm. And when you understand there's all these storms hitting these coasts and that now we're basically destroying the, our protection, we fully can understand why these reefs are so important. Yeah, it's a negative feedback loop as these storms are getting more and more powerful because of climate change, the barriers that that are there against them, the natural ecosystems that shelter coastlines are being more and more affected by climate change as well in a negative way. And so it's going to be a serious challenge that most of the world's population is going to have to deal with as we're all living on coastlines where uh, increasing storms and and extreme weather events are really becoming the norm. Yeah, in the Caribbean, this is like four years in a row, right, where you had these Four straight years of Category 5 hurricanes. That's unprecedented, never has happened before. And it's clear that it's only going to become more and more frequent going forward. So this was the amazing thing about meeting you because we're sitting over dinner and you're telling me that you have found a way to grow coral just like new 50 times faster than it would normally in a natural setting. How do you do that? Exactly, yeah. So at Coral Vita, we create land-based coral farms that use innovative new techniques to grow coral for reef restoration. One of the techniques that you were hinting at is called micro-fragmentation, where we actually are able to break apart coral colonies into tiny little pieces and fuse them back together and as you break them apart, they actually grow much more rapidly if they are healing just like scar tissue. And oh, so we, I got it. Wow. we take advantage of that natural healing mechanism by breaking them apart, spacing them on a kind of specially cured tile and fusing them back together and then breaking them apart, fusing them back together. And we can grow a dinner plate sized coral in about a year, whereas on the reef, that would be maybe 50, some species 70 years old before oh, reaching that size. So the beauty is I say, Gator, could you regrow the Great Barrier Reef in Australia? And I'll never forget the expression on your face saying, give me the money, give me some time, I'll give you the Great Barrier Reef back. I'm a full believer that we have the tools and the technology to save ecosystems, even challenges as gigantic and daunting as, as the Great Barrier Reef, which is obviously in, in dire shape at the moment. 
but we can do it, no doubt about it. If we have the the willpower, the time, and the resources to get it done, we'll we'll bring your reef back wherever it is. Okay, so now you have these like almost magical powers. It's technology, smarts, and you're capable of growing this coral much faster. And you've set up this farm. How long did it take you to set up the farm in the Bahamas? So I graduated uh, with a master's degree and, and the business plan was really my master's thesis and, and my co-founder, Sam, we were in school together. And that was about four and a half years ago now. So it was maybe two and a half years of getting ready to go to the Bahamas, getting the connections with research institutes, funders, permitting, governments, all that goes into that. Yeah, because you're going to the Bahamas, the whole new government, right? right. Exactly. So uh, we moved to the Bahamas and started building the coral farm about a year and a half ago. So, And was that like 20-hour work day? You know, you know, usually you get into a startup, you're throwing your whole life into it. There's been uh, a lot of long days and a lot of long nights. Um, None more so than the past couple of months since the hurricane, though. Really. Well, yeah, that's where I was kind of leading to. So you're doing this for a year and a, a year and a half, and you're getting it up, and it's working. And then all of a sudden, 200 mile an hour winds are coming in at you. Yeah, we were we were really excited about the progress we'd been making. We were growing 20 different coral species in our farm. We had successfully bred corals together and made thousands of new genotypes, creating a lot of genetic diversity. And we were doing a lot of educational programming. It was it was really going quite well until the, uh, the hurricane started bearing down. Okay, so on the ship, we were all going to depart and, and go home. And I didn't even get a chance to say goodbye to you. And all that happens in, in my life in regards to this is sitting in front of a TV and just watching the reports come in about this devastation. How did you find out about it and what did you do? Yeah, so it was extremely hard to, to not be on the island and to be following along with what was going on. I was actually on a WhatsApp thread with hundreds of, of members of our community in Freeport that were all talking on this WhatsApp thread. Yeah, because this is in like Sitka. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, I'm in an Airbnb in Sitka, Alaska. Alaska, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm reading WhatsApp threads from from my friends and, and people in my community saying, my house is destroyed, I'm on the roof, someone come save me, SOS. Oh, I'm talking man. to Joe and Sam, my colleagues who are, who are down on the ground and they're running gasoline to teams of jet skis that are jet skiing through the streets because there's, you know, 15, 20 foot storm surge in certain places to jet ski up to people's houses and save them off the roofs where they're sheltering and still oh, man. 100 mile an hour winds. People are jet skiing through 100 mile hour winds to get to roofs to yank people off. And we're like, what do you do? Do you put them on the back of the jet ski? Yeah, you toss them on the jet ski and do as many trips as it takes to to get them down. There were some incredible heroes that rose to the occasion. And when a disaster strikes, it's the local community that that is there to, to help out. And the community of, of Freeport and the Bahamas really came together to uh, do what they could. 
So you're sitting in Sitka, and then it's going to take a while before you get back to the Bahamas. Right. How long does it take? Right. So the hurricane was hitting. I was supposed to head to the Bahamas the, the next day, but obviously everything was shut down. And so I started doing what I could to coordinate efforts from the states. As I said, there was uh, some WhatsApp threads giving us on the ground uh, reconnaissance of what was going on, and we were trying to stage all the support we could uh, in Florida ready to head to the Bahamas as soon as the storm passed over. And so I immediately started a, a little fundraising campaign and started coordinating different aid organizations and helping connect them with the people on the ground and the government to get ready for as soon as we could bringing first aid and supplies and medics over to Grand Bahama. And it actually took us two, a little over two days, like two and a half days after the storm, uh, finally the airport runway was cleared for us to fly the first aid flights in. So I was on one of those first planes to arrive in the, the aftermath a couple of days after the storm passed. You get in, what do you see? Um, it was it was surreal. Uh, I, I arrived on, on a private aid plane with a bunch of supplies, and the airport was completely destroyed. The hangars on the side of the airport have, you know, only the roofs left, all the walls ripped off, pieces of airplanes strewn across the ground, cars flipped over. How'd the roofs stay on? Because uh, it wasn't actually the wind that caused the most damage on uh, on Freeport. Things are actually built to withstand Category 5 winds. That's happened in the past, and you have to build for resilience. This storm was absolutely freakish and unlike any storm to ever hit the Bahamas because it had such an incredibly powerful storm surge. So most of the destruction was actually from a storm surge that was as high as 25 feet in some places, moving across the island like a tidal wave. So this goes back to the coral reefs. Exactly, yes. So most of that damage came from a storm surge on the north side of the island where there isn't actually coral reefs. It's more mud flats, some, some mangroves oh, on the okay, north side. Okay, so it wouldn't have Whereas the there. South, south side of the island actually had a lot less damage. And there because were 20-foot the waves, 15-, 20-foot waves on the south side as well, but they're breaking on the reef which is a half mile to a mile usually offshore in Grand Bahama. And that's one of the key reasons why there was a lot less destruction on the southern shore compared to the north. And when these waves come in and batter the reefs, the reefs are naturally strong enough to mm. handle this? Or do they get smashed apart? They definitely take some, some beating. They've evolved with hurricanes in the past, so they've... Uh, been made to withstand hurricanes and grow back, although it's a tough time for reefs in general. They're not super healthy, and these hurricanes are increasing. So what we're seeing is that reefs usually aren't able to grow back to their full extent that they oh, should man, be before the next gator. hurricane we need hits. You gator. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done for man. sure. Man, okay. So now you're, you're back. You're looking at all this damage. It must have kind of ripped your heart out to see everything you'd poured the last year and a half into completely destroyed. Truthfully, we didn't think 
at all about the coral farm just at that because point of all in time. the people that were in distress. yeah we we threw ourselves directly into humanitarian aid work we were doing search and rescue missions to the east of the island we basically salvaged everything we could from our coral farm we have a big truck a bunch of power tools chainsaws and uh, our team at coral vita started heading east where these remote fishing communities hadn't actually been helped yet they were still waiting for assistance the government hadn't arrived yet oh man a few helicopters from the u.s coast guard had gone in and taken out some uh people who needed emergency medical attention but we were among the first groups that reached some of these towns in freeport or in grand bahama excuse what me what was that like it was insane I mean, it was incredibly tragic uh, showing up and these people had not seen any help for, this was some cases five, even six days after the hurricane. How were they eating? They weren't eating. They had little to no water left by the time we arrived. And um, we had to take a lot of people back to the hospital with us. We gave out all the food and water that we had at the time and... And after that, we you know, obviously have very strong bonds with these communities and since have been organizing aid, direct delivery to these communities in the, the weeks following the storm. And it wasn't really wasn't for five or six weeks after the storm that we had a chance to like even look at the coral farm and oh, try to man. think about what we were going to do on our own end. What was it like when you arrived in these small fishing buildings? Were there people on roofs of their houses, or where were you finding them? And So the storm surge had left by that point, so, so they, they were, were back on the down, ground, but right? they were literally staying in a destroyed house with you know half a roof on it, and they would clear out a small section to, to sleep on the ground in the midst of the rubble, and... Um, and I mean, it's still, if you go out there, there've been a great job of, of cleaning it up a bit, but, but it won't be the same for, for quite some time. And, uh, and those communities are, are in a lot of need. Man, you get through with that and then you go back and look at the work of your mission and you see that's basically destroyed. But you, you, you still have like, the technology and you can go and get coral and, and get the growing process going again, right? Or- Definitely, yeah. So it was no doubt a setback, but really uh, the entire tragic experience we went through has really only increased our resolve towards our mission of restoring reefs. We saw firsthand why these reefs are so important to life in the tropics, in these communities, and how closely the people that live in the Bahamas and in many places around the world depend upon natural ecosystems like reefs for their survival. And if we are going to be able to continue living in these environments and adapting to the climate change conditions, we're gonna need to do as much as we can to sustain and enhance the natural ecosystems that allow us to live in these environments. And so at Coral Vita, we know that the best thing we can do for the island is to get our farm back up and running, build it bigger and better than it was before, and do as much as we can to restore these reefs and to create the ecosystems that really sustain life in general in in communities in the Bahamas 
And our goal is to expand to have these farms all over the world so that we can sustain as many reefs as we can in the, the years ahead. Do you find that like people in Iowa, Nebraska, do they have like a concept of this? Uh, do, do you ever get a chance to talk about what you do with people who live a long way from the coast? Maybe they're curious. Maybe they have no idea what you're doing. Yeah, it's interesting. Different people have different levels of, of understanding and empathy with the situations that are all over the world. But really, you can clearly tie all of life on Earth, whether you're in Iowa or you're on some island in the middle of the Pacific, to the ocean. You know, the ocean regulates the entire climate of the planet. If you take two breaths right now, right. one of those breaths came directly from the ocean. From the ocean, wow. It doesn't matter where you live. Uh, if you like seafood, that obviously comes from the ocean. Right. But it really regulates the entire uh, environmental climate that makes life possible on Earth anywhere in the world. And without a healthy ocean, there's no healthy life. Do we teach that in second grade? Not well enough, I don't think. Yeah, it's a, it's a point that really needs to be underscored, not not only in the ocean, to be fair, we need to teach uh, environmental stewardship and knowledge about how we're able to exist on this earth with one another and with other uh, species and animals, I don't think is a point that is really ingrained enough into our society. When you go down and look at the corals in the Bahamas, are there often like sharks around and? Oh, yeah. We, uh, we're very friendly with the sharks in the Bahamas. Very friendly. Mm -hmm. We have I good, remember great they used to have the, They used to have these tourist uh, schools where you can actually go down and feed the sharks. You can't feed the sharks yourself, but right. you can go on a shark feed dive in okay. the Bahamas. There's a, there's a number of places, including in, in Freeport, where you can go with a trained team of divers, okay. and they feed the sharks in front of you, and you can be in the midst of, of a sharknado, it's quite an experience. Have you done it? I have done it, I have done it, and I'll have to say that it's a controversial topic whether or not we should be feeding these natural predators right. and how that changes their dynamics, but if done in a properly well thought out way, uh, I think it can have a lot of conservation benefits and really raise awareness about the incredible beauty of sharks and their role within the ecosystem as uh, integral key predators that, that make things tick. Yeah, they're like the garbage disposal people of the sea, right? They're making sure that the ocean is staying as clean as it can. Was I wrong about that or... Uh, I'm, I'm not following the analogy perfectly as the garbage disposal, but they are the top of the food chain. Yeah, and so the food chain is so interconnected that if you take out the key predator species like sharks at the top, it has ramifications down the entire web of life and really throws ecosystems out of whack. So they're, they're essential. Are the sharks and the coral attached? So the sharks are the apex predators on coral reef environments, which means that they regulate the different fish uh, diversity and regimes that are below sharks on the on the web of, of life, I guess. And the animals, especially the herbivorous fish and urchins that live on coral reefs are essential 
for corals to survive because they clean the algae off of corals. And so if there are no sharks, then it throws out of whack all the fish species. And if the fish species are out of whack, then you just get an algae mat growing over the entire reef and smothering it. Well, congratulations, Gator. That's the first time we've had the word herbivorous on this podcast. Glad I could bring that to your your <laughs> listeners. So you're back in business. I can tell you're supercharged. Uh, where do you go from here? And how can people help you? So we are rebuilding our coral farm in Freeport. We're going to make it bigger and better than it was before. We've learned a heck of a lot over the past year, and we know how we can make a lot more impact in the uh, months and years ahead in the Bahamas by really scaling up that facility and bringing it to the next level. We're also looking at creating these facilities all around the world. You know, this isn't an issue for the Bahamas. It's an issue for everywhere that coral reefs exist, which is pretty much the entire tropics. Um, and so we're creating a network of these farms all around the world to sustain reefs. And if you want to learn more about what we do, please go to our website, coralvita.co. And we've also just recently launched a nonprofit side of our operations called the Coral Vita Conservancy, where your listeners or anyone else can support our mission of planting reefs. You can go adopt a coral, adopt a reef. You can adopt a coral reef. You can adopt a reef on coralvita.org. <laughs> <laughs> and we will send you updates so you can keep up on your, your reef over time as you watch it grow. And we'll plant it out there uh, in a You know, people used to plant need. trees. Now we can plant reefs. We need them. That's for sure. Now, this is amazing. You're sponsoring your own reef. How much does it cost to sponsor a reef? So right now, we you can adopt a coral, a single colony, for about I, I $100. Said, I should have said adopt. Okay. Adopt a coral. A, a reef, there's a whole range of how big of a reef you want, how many different corals you want in it, the species diversity, all the like. You, you mean, can, do you mean to tell me, like, I can custom make my own reef and have it planted? You sure can. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. On the commercial side of things at CoralVita.co, we sell the service of reef restoration to any stakeholder that wants to build themselves a reef offshore. If you want to offshore your house or your hotel or your port oh, or your nation, we'll build it for you. How much does a reef, like a nice reef, like if I want to go scuba diving to the reef that I adopted, that you made, how much would it cost to make a nice reef? So there's a lot of different factors that go into it, how big of a reef you want, how how big are the corals, how diverse do you want the corals, how densely do you want us to plant them. But if you want just a ballpark figure, um, <laughs> if you want a sweet snorkel reef offshore of your hotel, uh, we can probably build it for you for a couple hundred thousand. Couple of hundred grand. Yep. Man, I wish I could write a check right now. Well... Uh, I'd build it for you as soon as you do, Cal. All right. <laughs> I will get to work on that. And uh, I'm glad you gave everybody your address so they know where to reach you on the web. And I love what you're doing. It is so important in a way that I didn't understand until we started talking. And my guess is that not many people understand it. So it's great to have you here. Thank you for explaining it. And 
you never know, somebody may call you and say, hey, Gator, I want a reef. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Cal. It's really been a pleasure to, to share a bit of our story with your listeners. And uh, even if you don't want a reef, you can you can have a coral and we'll, uh, we'll send you an adoption certificate in the mail, Cal. <laughs> well, you know what? If they're coming to visit the Bahamas, can they come by and say hello? Please do. We're rebuilding the farm right now, but within a couple of months, we should be back open to the public in Freeport, Grand Bahama, a beautiful place to visit. And you can come see our operations, see our, our corals, and even eventually be, plant a coral with us. I think there's going to be a lot of people who want a reef made by gator. The more the merrier. We need <laughs> plenty of reef out there that needs to be planted. All right. Well, thank you, brother. And I'm uh, very proud of you for just doing all you did in the hurricane. And I'm glad I got to finally hear the story because we departed, went our separate ways, and I always was wondering, what's going on with Gator? How's he doing? I'm glad we found each other again, Cal, and I hope to see you again soon. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Maybe it'll be in the coral at the Bahamas. You never know. Come on down. We're ready for you. All right. Cheers, brother. Thanks. That about wraps it up. Want to thank Tim Ferriss for nudging me to start this podcast. I've made friends in Singapore because of you, Tim. I couldn't imagine the number of great people I've met through this podcast. And Tim, all because of you. And you know what? I'm wearing my sportiques because of you, Tim. And so are a lot of other people. Because they know they can use the offer code CAL, C-A-L, and get a 20% discount on comfy tees, hoodies, chinos, and sweatpants at sportique.com. That's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com. Holiday season is upon us, so it's a great time to bring a smile to the people you love with some Sportiques. Want to thank El Chen, Hassan Rumier, and Philip Lanos for all the support. And of course, want to wish a happy holidays to Kevin Domenager. And if you are thousands of miles away from me in Los Angeles, send me an email. Maybe we'll become friends too. Cheers! Cheers!